You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Well, greetings once again from Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com. This is your Ask the Expert segment for May 2018. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us this month is Jim Grant. Many of you will recognize Jim. He is the editor and founder of the very popular Grant's Interest Rate Observer, which he actually founded back in 1983. He's an author, a columnist, and a frequent guest on financial television. And you can find his work at his website, grantspub.com. And I certainly encourage everybody to check that out and check out a subscription because it's extraordinarily valuable. There's a reason Jim's been doing this as long as he has. So, Jim, thank you so much for taking some time with us. Craig, you are entirely welcome. All right, my friend. Uh, this is going to be a fun format, I think. Again, uh, it's brought money news. We solicit questions from our customers over the course of the month uh, once we have these interviews scheduled. And for you, we have seven separate questions. They may dance around a little bit, but uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy answering them. So if you don't mind, I think I'll just dive right in. Yes. Well, you do that, Craig. And uh, there are seven questions I know. I'll see if I have uh, three or four answers, but do proceed. You got it. Okay. First and foremost, let's start with the U.S. dollar. That's something that a lot of precious metals investors follow because of the inverse correlation often between gold prices and the value of the dollar. We've had quite a rally here in the last month or so, Jim. Just a, a major surge in the dollar, at least as measured by the dollar index. What do you think? Is this the start of a new uptrend in the dollar to new multi-year highs, or is it just simply a bounce within the, a downtrend? Uh, that's easy. I don't know. Um, I can observe, perhaps uh, a little bit obviously, that the dollar is among the cleaner, dirty shirts in the laundry that is the, uh, the fiat currency world. Uh, it outyields uh, the yen. It outyields, of course, the euro. Um, it is, uh, I don't know, it's the Coca-Cola of monetary brands. It's, uh, it's uh, not such a bad piece of paper if you are comparing it to other pieces of paper. As to whether this is the start of something very big, I, I surely don't know that. But, um, uh, yeah, so uh, once you say you don't know, I suppose it's time to shut up. Please <laughs> ask number two. Ray. Well, I, you know what, I, I want to I be selfishly, I want to uh, pick your brain on something, though, as a follow-up question. Because uh, I know you're a historian and a market historian, and I, I reference a lot of the time when I give interviews about how you know, there's really nobody left alive that remembers a time when the dollar wasn't the world's reserve currency. But really, it was only 70 years ago. Uh, this ability to uh, be the dollar's reserve currency or the world's reserve currency, you know, as Lyndon, I think it was uh, John Connolly said, you know, it was a uh, uh, exorbitant privilege. Um, it's transitory. Or maybe do, that do, was a, perhaps Jacques Rueff. Uh, no. In any case, uh, yeah, well, the, the, the reserve currency idea, as you know, is the, uh, uh, so the dollar is the official uh, currency designated for reserve purposes, that if you want to hold money uh, uh, in your so-called treasury, a treasury without treasure, by the way, but if you want to hold money in your treasury, uh, to defend your currency against unwanted depreciation, chances are that uh, the currency of choice will be the dollar. That is its official, exalted, anointed status. Now, um, uh, the world's authorities can anoint and exalt, but ultimately the marketplace is the judge, and the dollar's market share, as it were, in the 
reserve world has been dwindling in recent years. It was as high as, what, 68% a few years ago. Now it's at 64, I think. Uh, it is meeting some competition uh, from uh, the Chinese renminbi, uh, from the euro, from the, I don't know, not the yen so much, but, uh, uh, you know, there's nothing, you know, the, 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 the reserve currency is uh, in part um, an official appointment, that status is, mm-hmm. but also it's habit. Uh, you know, people uh, transact habitually, and uh, the pound sterling preceded the dollar as the world's reserve currency, and its role dwindled even into the 1960s, long after Britain had relinquished its economic power and military power that was responsible for the elevation of the sterling of the pound in the first place. So if the dollar is going to go the way of other pieces of paper, I think that uh, 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 the, the travel will be long. Right. And uh, there's nothing, nothing dramatic, I think, is likely to happen with respect to the dollar. But it has been losing caste, and maybe it will continue in this context of being the cleanest, dirty shirt. Sure. <laughs> well, I think that's an excellent segue to the second question, actually. Uh, as an interest rate expert, you know that a lot of pricing of bonds – is a function of uh, future inflation. And since 2009, at least by official measures, price inflation in the U.S. has remained subdued. So do you expect a surge in inflation soon? And if so, what would be the cause? Well, you know, the, the, the question is very well posed because the cause of the great inflation of the 70s is even now disputed. And if you look back into the, for example, the 1960s, uh, the era that immediately preceded the great inflation that began, let us call it, in 1967 or 68, and lasted into the late 70s into the early 80s, that inflation was preceded by a period of startling and most um, uh, complacency-inducing price stability. Uh, From 1960 through about 64, the CPI in the United States uh, rose scarcely by 2% and some years less than 2%. And people thought they had solved the problem. Mm -hmm. The Keynesian economists of the day thought they had finally found the philosopher's stone. And what preceded that, uh, what followed that period of of almost preternatural calm in prices was, of course, uh, the great, great disruption that we now know was the inflation of the 70s, all of which is by way of observing um, that uh, what, precedes an inflation problem is not the obvious signs of a coming inflation problem, but rather uh, the apparent conquest of the inflation problem by central banks. Now, today's central banks are actually trying to induce inflation. That is their perceived mission or their stated mission. So, you know, so you ask whether uh, there's going to be a new inflation. I think there will be. Um, I can't tell you when. Um, but um, I think that the, the monetary tinder is in place for uh, quite a bonfire. Yeah. yeah. Do you watch that velocity of money much, Jim? Do you pay much attention to that? Oh, yes. Yes. The velocity is still on the comatose side. Uh, the rate of turnover of dollar bills is, uh, is still subdued. But, you know, people, um, when they lose confidence in a currency, and that is the final and ultimate uh, source of inflation is the loss of, of faith in the currency that is meant to hold stable value. When people lose uh, confidence, they, they can lose it um, kind of quickly and uh, without 
um, an evident uh, uh, crystallizing event. You know, I, uh, so my, so in short, Craig, my view on inflation, as informed by the surprise appearance of the inflation of the 70s in the 60s, my um, view is that uh, you cannot be dogmatic on when something is going to start. That is when an inflation is going to start. But you have to be aware that um, it can seemingly come from nowhere. And I think that we have enough uh, plausible causes of inflation in place so that one ought to be um, respectful of the possibilities of real inflation probably emerging. How yeah. soon? We don't know. Right. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit, Jim. The stock market, as you know, has been on really a historic run since those lows in early 2009. I mean, this is probably a fool's errand trying to predict a stock market correction, but that's what the question is. Do you foresee well, I have, a stock market? I, have, I, have, well, I, have, I do have practice in predicting stock market corrections. <laughs> well, let's give it a try. Um, uh, well, here, here, I mean, let's, let's, let's um, uh, as I say sometimes, let's not overthink this. So what we have is a stock market sustained uh, for many years uh, by 0% interest rates or lower in some parts of the world uh, by uh, determined central bank action to raise up asset prices um, and by a recovery uh, of a very, very deep and frightening recession. Right. So, so what we have today, eight or nine or ten years into this, um, is... Uh, rising interest rates, uh, central banks, at least the Federal Reserve, reversing course or promising to. Uh, we have uh, valuations uh, very high, and those valuations in some measure, some important measure, have been sustained by the ease of credit, which ease might be a thing of the past. So for all those reasons, I think that uh, the stock market uh, presents rather more risk than reward. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to question four then. Uh, and this is obviously a rather pertinent question in 2018. Uh, for how long will the Fed continue hiking the Fed funds rate? And does, uh, does your forecast here make you a bond market bear? Uh, the first uh, uh, mystery first. Uh, when will the Fed cease and desist? And what will cause it to do so? You know, Mike Tyson... Um, uttered this famous line, which people quote uh, often without apparent relevance to what preceded the quotation. But now at last, there is a reason to quote Mike Tyson's line. That is, everyone's got a plan until it gets hit. And the Fed has a plan. It wants to normalize interest rates. And it's talking about raising its little tiny, still little tiny Fed funds rate three or perhaps four times this year. Uh, more, say, some say. And the Fed wants us to know that the stock market will not stand in its way. Well, that is fine as long as the stock market is trending up or sideways. But my uh, suspicion, indeed my conviction, or a little more humbly, my guess, is that the Fed is going to change course when things get a little scary, as well they might. Uh, so you ask about being a bond bear. I think, underscore think, uh, which is to say guess, that the um, uh, the bond market put in its lows in yield and highs in price on the fifth day of July of what, 2016, I believe. Mm -hmm. 2016. I think that was the day. Yep. Um, uh, that was, I think, the Treasury's 10-year security changed hands at like uh, 130 something 
136 basis points, uh, not much at all. Uh, something like 14 trillion of sovereign debt was quoted at nominal yields of less than zero. And the world was positively enraptured uh, with bonds and terrified of being left without them. That was, I think, uh, an emotional blow-off and evaluation blow-off uh, in the bull market that began uh, in the fall of 1981. So yields went from uh, 15% uh, on long-dated treasury to something like uh, a little less than 3%. That was that that uh, 35-year odyssey. So yes, I am uh, uh, bearish on bonds, especially I am bearish on corporate securities that are spread relatively tight against treasuries. Now, treasuries do offer at least the um, the rhetorical promise of absolute safety. We can talk about that in a moment. But they do mostly constitute a port in a storm, uh, especially a stock market storm. So there's always you can always say something for treasuries, but I think you can say much less, indeed, almost nothing at all uh, for corporate securities at a time let us say, of rising rates, and let us also say of possible de deteriorating credit quality uh, when they are priced as these corporate securities are today. So I'm especially wary of corporate debt. Well, I think that's an interesting segue uh, to the fifth question now, because uh, this is the only question that deals with gold, which is obviously of interest to, to Sprott Money and to most folks listening. Uh, do you have a? I know you, you've spoken about gold highly from time to time. Do you have a, a forecast for gold prices over the next few years? Uh, would gold fall if the stock market corrects? And I'm going to add one other thought here because you just talked about uh, interest rates. Uh, a lot of folks out there now talking about gold as a measure or declining and falling versus real interest rates. So let's put that on there as a third part of the question. Well, um it, it is possible to correlate the price of gold, at least over the short term, with any number of things. Mm -hmm. uh, people do it with respect to the dollar. The higher the dollar, the lower the gold price, they say. Um, the higher real interest rates, the lower the gold price, they say. And that There's certainly some logic in both of those contentions. Um, my approach to the price of gold is... Um, uh, a little bit uh, is a little bit different, and I'm afraid much less helpful on the great question of timing. And my approach is that the price of gold is reciprocal of the world's faith in the institution of managed currencies and of the judgment of the central bankers. So the greater the faith, uh, the lower the price. Uh, the less the faith, the higher the price. And mm -hmm. in my opinion, uh, faith in uh, the institution of central banking, as it's now a practice, is unwarranted. So I am forever um, expecting a higher price of gold, and I'm frequently disappointed in that expectation. But my thinking is that um, is uh, I guess it's, it's almost a time that it comes across as almost geological in its time um, sensitivity. You know, I I um, uh, I own a fair amount of gold, and I I own it um, a little bit uh, um, uh, with uh, somewhat greater confidence when, when the value is going up, I guess we all do, and hold it with a little more trepidation when the value is going down, but I keep holding it, and I keep holding it because I take a, a very long view and a very uh, 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 critical view 
of monetary affairs, and I believe that uh, this moment in our monetary history will go down as one of, uh, of uh, as, 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 as a troubled one, and that the ultimate beneficiary of this deeply embedded trouble in money and credit, the ultimate beneficiary in financial terms, will be the quoted price of gold. Hey, just a quick follow-up, Jim. I'm just curious to get your opinion. You know, the, the history of the London gold pool is well documented, and this, you know the central bank willingness to feed physical gold, you know, to help maintain that $35 price through the 60s. Do you think central bankers look at it the same way you do? That gold's a reflection of confidence in them, and and if therefore, do you think it's possible that that they like to no, still I, feed I, gold yeah. to the market? Um, no, once I. Once had the opportunity to ask Paul Volcker about gold, and he said that um, he was always rooting for it to go down because he viewed it, he viewed a variety of price of gold as an indictment of his regime at the Fed. Right. He was um, uh, he was very mindful of this, but I I I, I don't know. I, I think that the present day central bankers just don't care about it. Um, I I don't think they have any particular knowledge of history. I mean uh, yeah. Ben Bernanke confessed as much, certainly demonstrated as much. Janet Yellen, I think, as much or more so. Um, uh, Mario Draghi, is he a student of uh, the... Uh, no, I don't think so. Mervyn King uh, was, is uh, much more informed on these things, but I think uh, the, the principal central bankers of the world are technocrats, and uh, they uh, don't know uh, or really care that much about what preceded the regime of the of post Bretton Woods in 1971, 72, and 73. Yeah. After that period, Thank so you. I don't. I mean, so you ask whether the gold, the central banks are feeding gold to the market to hold its price. To, I, I, I doubt it. I mean, I, I just don't think they care that much. Got it. I think that for, from their from their point of view, the the risk of being uncovered um, or uh, exposed in this nefarious dealing would be much greater than the benefit received. What, what do they care over the price of gold? I think. I think. Okay. All right, let's move on to question six. And this kind of gets back to the bond market. And I, I'd be curious to hear your answer on this one. Uh, and it's just simply this. Are higher U.S. long rates being driven by a strong U.S. economy and expected inflation? Or instead, is it also a reflection of deteriorating U.S. credit quality? I, I would just add, I mean, it's a it's an oversimplification to look at it this way. But every 1% higher in interest rates essentially raises the the debt carry cost of the U.S. government by a couple hundred billion dollars. Um, so do higher interest rates reflect, uh, I guess, that credit servicing problem? Yeah, well, I think it's a little less than a couple of hundred. I think it's 140-something. But anyway, uh, uh, point's well taken. You know, we have just produced at Grants, we have produced a model prospectus, a model bond prospectus for the Treasury. We've done this, I think, six times since we got started in 19, doing 1985. This is just out uh, as we speak. And what we tried to do is to present the government's finances as they would have to be presented if the government were a filing entity under the Securities Act of 1933. So we have uh, about a dozen pages of risk factors that uh, enumerate some of the things that you allude to, such as the explosion in entitlement spending and the uh, inherent conflict between in a gov- within a government that both issues debt and also uh, uh, runs the central bank that uh, attempts to uh, depreciate the currency by 2% a year. Um, and uh, what we have observed over the course of uh, 30-odd years of doing this is that the 
the objective credit quality of the government is measured in, for example, the uh, I don't know, interest expense as a percentage of receipts or um, uh, uh, gross debt or debt in the hands of the public. These, very obje these objective measures of credit quality seem not to count in the calculus of the government's borrowing costs because there's been a 35-year uh, bond bull market, which has overpowered uh, considerations of fiscal credit, credit worthiness. But let us say that the market turned in 2016 and that we now are embarked on what might prove to be a generation-long bear market in bonds. These cycles in bonds do tend to work in generation uh, spans. In that case, what we would see, I believe, is a much greater attention uh, to the credit metrics of the government. Uh, people would say, uh, they try to explain, try to understand why interest rates are going up. They say, oh yeah, the, the Treasury's borrowing a lot more. The, the Treasury's borrowing more in the Federal Reserve in, uh, in spitting out upwards of $600 billion as it plans to do per annum in securities off of its massive portfolio. There is much too much debt in the market, and of course, prices will fall and rates will rise. So that just might become the focus, the credit quality to which you allude, which has seemingly been irrelevant over these three and a half decades. This might now suddenly uh, on, be about to become relevant. All right, Jim, just one last question, and I, I think this is a fun one to wrap up on. I've, I've seen you interviewed uh, countless occasions, and Sometimes people will say, okay, Jim, if, if we made you the head of the Fed tomorrow, what would you do? And your, your standard response is, I'd resign, uh, I think, <laughs> right away. And I can't blame you for that. But, hey, let's just for fun, let's just say President Hemke appoints you to head the Fed and you get in that job and, and you cannot resign. Uh, now, what policies would you hope to enact? What would you change? Well, what I would try to do, first of all, is to uh – uh, help to change the public's perception of what the Fed can do and should do. And I would announce that the Fed is now out of the asset manipulation business and that it is out of the interest rate suppression business, I would say, in my first uh, well-received speech. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that um, interest rates are prices and ought to be determined in the marketplace, discovered, not imposed and that we are going to move in that direction, and that we would also like to move in the direction of redefining the dollar as a certain weight of something or other. And I would nominate gold because it is the monetary metal par excellence. And the United States would welcome uh, partners worldwide in reinstituting um, a regime of sound money and of fixed exchange rates. And... Uh, uh, all to the end of peace and prosperity, and let's all get together and and plan this out. That's that's the uh, the first speech. Now, in uh, my impeachment hearings, <laughs> I would uh, get around me the, the the finest lawyers available in Washington. That's my second idea, as Fed Chairman. <laughs> I, would, would you allow uh, the uh, audit that Ron and Rand Paul always seem to be asking for? Oh, uh, I would insist on it. Sure. We're, we're going to have a little sunshine in the government from now on. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uh, Jim, i got to tell you, I thank you so much for your time. This has been extraordinarily well, Craig, it's, insightful. It's, it's, it's 
it's been delightful. And next time I'm going to have some, uh, have a few answers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Again, we've been okay. speaking with Jim Grant, the editor and founder of Grant's Interest Rate Observer. You can find his work at grantspub.com. And I encourage everybody to check it out. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Bye, Craig. And from all of us here at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next month.